0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And uh, Lord willing, we will walk through chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 together. And uh, this passage sets itself up to, to just walk right into a prayer that Paul is going to pray for these Ephesian believers, which you will hear in a couple of weeks. Uh, Well, let me just, as you're turning there, Ephesians chapter 3, let me ask you this question. How do you know if God has called you to ministry? Well, some of you, when I asked that question, you just immediately tuned out. You just decided for yourself, calling to ministry? Nope, this sermon's not for me. And I would say to you that perhaps, in one sense, you are right. The reality is, God is not going to call a majority of people to vocational ministry. However, as a church member, you are going to be called um, to, to follow pastor, a pastor or pastors. And, and I think you would all agree, we would all agree that it would be a good idea if we knew how to spot an authentic, genuinely called pastor or minister of the gospel. Maybe even, somewhere down the line, maybe some of you will serve on pastor search teams. Some of you have done that in years past. And, uh, and perhaps maybe you'll do that again. I mean, I'm not foolish enough to believe that, uh, that you will never have to search for another pastor again. I don't have any plans to go anywhere, but you may find yourself one day serving on that team. The, the last team that was put together uh, maybe never imagined themselves serving in that role. Right, Candice? Uh, and, and others, and, uh, but but you were there, and so maybe this would serve in some way to equip members of a future pastor search team uh, to interview candidates to come and be the leader of, of this flock, the shepherd of this flock, um, or uh, you may also need to to affirm or deny at some point god 's calling on a member of this congregation. Uh, this is something that I am actively. Asking the Lord for on a constant basis is that God would would speak and call people from this body into ministry, whether it's missions or ministry in some capacity, and that we would be a sending church. It's good to have Muncie back over here with us today. Uh, He had no idea I was going to just throw him into the sermon like that, Uh, and neither did I. Muncie just, that's how a pastor's mind works sometimes. Thoughts just pop in, and there you are. So there you go. You made the the podcast. But uh, Muncie is one that kind of came up here, uh, worked in our our sound booth, made sound for us, did tons of things behind the scene, and has gone out. And he's back with us today. It's good to have you here. Uh, But he's gone out, and he's doing ministry other places. So these are, perhaps, you you might tune out when I ask you the question, how do you know if God's called you to ministry? Maybe, though, maybe in one sense you're right, but maybe on the other hand, what if you're wrong? What if if God, perhaps, might have you in His sights for ministry? I would say to you this morning, I was the least likely person ever uh, to be called into ministry. Uh, there was a time in my life when standing before you and delivering sermons was the most terrifying thing that I could possibly imagine. Ran from it for a long time. In fact, for a long time, I used to I used to think I had this 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 was my philosophy. Lord, I know you're speaking, but if I ignore you long enough, you'll move on. And uh, guess where that got me? Right here, you know. Uh, It just doesn't work to ignore God. Maybe, maybe he has his sights set on you uh, as potentially one day a pastor or a missionary or some ministry in some capacity. I would just challenge you, encourage you as your pastor, don't shut that door. Don't don't just don't just close the door and say, God, no, 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 thank you. Don't use excuses like age. To say, well, you know, I'm, I'm past those years and, and the Lord surely will call some young person to this. Uh, Lord, age is not an excuse, neither is a lack of, of skill or a lack of knowledge or a lack of personality. If, if anybody would, uh, if, if being outgoing and an extrovert was a requirement for ministry, I would be disqualified. Uh, I like you, I love people. I, I was sitting there as we were singing together and I just turned and I gazed across. Uh, you all standing there singing these songs and I was just so thankful for you was thankful for just the God's entrusted you to me and me to you and and, uh, was thankful for you but there are times when I just like to go into my house and shut the door and be alone you know and so if being extroverted is a requirement for ministry then I'm out and so there are all sorts of excuses that you and I could come up with but I want to ask you the question this morning how do you know if God is calling you to ministry even if he's not calling you to vocational ministry, to use this as a job, as this, this is what he's, how you're going to earn a living and support your family, is to go and be a preacher of the gospel in some capacity, all Christians have been called to ministry within their local church. This is made clear in the book that we are in. In a few weeks, we will look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And in those verses, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I told you last week, in Christ, we're all saints, right? And so the work of ministry is given to every single believer in the context of local church. I, I looked this up, and, uh, and I think this is accurate. There are all sorts of one another commands in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Yeah, as near as I can tell, there are 59 or uh, one another commands in the New Testament. How we're to serve one another. How we're to love one another. How we're to, to lay down our own rights for one another, right? And so all of this points to the fact that each and every one of us, whether we're called to vocational ministry or not, are called to ministry because we are saved and we are members of a church. Beyond just in the local body we're called to ministry, I think there's also this calling on every single believer in, in the community in which they live. Whether it's to their neighbors or to the nations, we are all called to make disciples. Uh, we've been given, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 tells us what, what's called the ministry of Reconciliation. Meaning that you and I are the ones God will use to reconcile people to Himself. And each and every one of us have been placed into a neighborhood or a job or, or to a life setting where we have opportunities to make disciples where He's placed us. We also have opportunities to make disciples of all nations. Maybe you say, well, that's not me. I could never do that. That's probably for those that, uh, that were mentioned in the Bible or, or mentioned in other places or for those really spiritual Christians, but not for me. And I would simply point you to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Verses 18-20 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So for those that say the Great Commission is only for a certain select few or only for the apostles, right there in the Great Commission, they were instructed to teach others to obey everything that they had been commanded. I've said this to you before, that this is an ongoing, perpetual mission. It is handed down to every single believer. Spurgeon said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. It cannot be that, that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a to- totally silent tongue about Him. So every single one of us in some capacity is called to ministry in some way. You may not ever be called to stand in, 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 in a place like this and deliver sermons. But you are called as a believer of God to make disciples, to serve one another, Right? And so that's what I want us to get to today. In our passage, I'm getting ready to read, uh, Paul is, is about to pray for them in verses 14 forward in chapter 3. And, but he starts the prayer right here. He's, he begins and he does what Paul oftentimes does. is He starts and then sees a squirrel and chases the squirrel. Right? And so most of this passage today is this sort of diversion from his prayer. He begins his prayer, and I think it's a spirit ordained squirrel that he chases, right? Okay, so this is not like we're saying, well, this is less important than the prayer. I think what Paul is trying to do here is endear himself to the Ephesian believers as he gets ready to pray for them. So let's look at our passage today Ephesians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, and this is where he begins to go off on a, on a tangent. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive. Uh, my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it, it has now been revealed to us, to, to His holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And then he goes into his prayer. When I started this sermon, when I studied and when I was organizing this, there are a number of different ways I could go. I think one of the things, though, that just began to really jump out is God's call to make every one of us a minister in some capacity, and then Paul lays out these marks of ministry. What makes a minister? And so the title of this sermon today is Six Marks of a Minister. I want you to know this started as ten marks of a minister, went to nine marks of a minister, went to seven marks of a minister yesterday, and then... As of today, it's six marks of a minister because I realize 10's a lot, okay? So we're gonna hopefully work our way through these and uh, and see God speak to us through this. First off, what's the first mark of a minister? Number one is a willingness to suffer on behalf of others. It's a willingness to suffer for the sake of others. This is what he says there in verse one. For this reason... Looking back to what we've just covered in chapter 2, for this reason, I call a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. At, at the time that Paul is writing this, he was literally a prisoner. He's literally in chains. He's not just speaking in this sort of poetic language, a prisoner of Christ. He's a prisoner here. Uh, he could, you know, Acts 21 tells the story where. God called Paul to preach to the Gentiles. As as God as Paul goes out and he begins to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, well naturally Gentiles begin to be saved. Well, as Gentiles begin to be saved, Jewish believers begin I mean rumors begin to swirl and Jewish believers begin to say things like Paul teaches against our customs. What is this Paul doing? And so Paul comes to Jerusalem at the council there of of Jerusalem elders. He is encouraged to try to squash some of these rumors by going to the temple. And when he goes to the temple, he is right away mobbed by angry Jews who are Confused and have misinformation about him. And it's because he followed the calling of God on his life that he winds up in prison. When he's mobbed by those Jewish believers, he's actually rescued there in, in Acts 21 by a Roman uh, official. And that meant for him that he would be imprisoned. And that's how we find him today. He's writing this as a prisoner for following God's call in his life. And Paul could actually say that he was a prisoner. But notice, he does not say... I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome. He does not say, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jewish zealots. Instead, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He doesn't see the literal chains as what's holding him in in that place. Instead, he, he sees himself motivated to subject himself to suffering on their behalf because he was a prisoner of Christ. And this is what genuine salvation does. Christ frees us us from the bonds of sin and self and Satan. We saw this back in Ephesians 2, those first few verses, where we we see that we were were really enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And Christ sets us free from that only to capture our hearts for Him. We're able to suffer for others because not not because, hey, we just got to do this thing, I mean, I would be lying to you if I just wake up every single day giddy about having to come and, and preach a sermon. I'd be lying to you if I every day just, man, went skipping across into my office and said, Whoa, boy, you know, just like you don't go to work every day thrilled about it. There are days when I love it. There are other days when it's, it's part of what I do. But at the end of the day, Paul shows us that a genuine call to ministry is not motivated by anything within us. It's because our hearts have been captured by Him. And we serve out of gratitude and thanksgiving and love because He has rescued us. So the first mark of, of a minister is a willingness to suffer for the sake of others because he's been captured by the grace of God. Secondly, number two, a a sense of stewardship. In verse 2 he says, Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is how Paul saw his his callings. He saw it as a stewardship. Paul did not want to be guilty of of receiving this calling or this gift from God and and burying it in the ground because he knew God to be this harsh master. And at the end, he would simply dig it back up and say, here God, I have this thing you called me to. Paul didn't want to be guilty of that. This stewardship motivated him and drove him in his ministry. He realized what he had been entrusted with. He was the missionary called to the Gentiles. This was scandalous in the day. This is why the Jews were so upset because forever it had been, the the Jewish people were God's chosen people and the Gentiles is just a, a way of naming everybody else. All the other nations, if you were out, if you were not a Jew, you were not included And so, when God calls Paul to go and preach to the Gentiles, this is scandalous, but he realizes how big this is. He's been entrusted with this. He knew that his time probably would be short, it would be difficult. He knows this because in Acts chapter 9, when we read about his conversion to Christ, he is told there just how much he would suffer for the sake of Christ's name. Stewardship drove him in his calling to ministry. This is why, like in Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 24, he wrote, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account." Paul got up every single day and realized this is a day given to him by God. He would have loved to have just gone on out of this world and been with the Lord. Remember, he had seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He had struck him off of his his animal, blinded him, heard the voice of, of Christ, Why are you persecuting me? Right? And he knows, if I just leave this world, if I die and go on out, man, that's going to be awesome because I'm going to be with Jesus. But he realizes, until that happens, I've been entrusted with a ministry here. And I'm a steward of this. And therefore, it will mean fruitful labor on your behalf. So there's this sense of stewardship. Number three. Those who are called to ministry display a love for the church. Verses 4 through 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the the mystery of Christ. You skip down and you read verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. When we think of, of the word mystery, we don't think of mystery like the Bible means mystery. We think of like murder she wrote. Right? Or like... Criminal Minds, or fill in the blank here, whatever show you, you watch. Movies like Silence of the Lambs, you know, uh, Clarice, you know, or whatever, you know. That's what we think of, right? These, these, uh, these, this is what we talk about when we talk about mysteries. You know, I grew up watching mysteries in animated form in Scooby-Doo, right? And every episode of Scooby-Doo, you know, I mean, something's going on. Somebody's terrorizing the town or whatever in some ridiculous costume, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. At the end, after, you know, Scooby runs around with Shaggy and all this, they figure it out and they pull the mask off and, you know, and it's the librarian the whole time. And like, who thought it was the librarian, you know, right? This is, this is what we think of when we think of mystery. This is not what the Bible means when it means mystery. The Bible talks about mystery, and it means something that's beyond natural knowledge but has been revealed to us. Mystery is not something that if we're just smart enough, if we just look for the right clues, if we just follow everything out, man, we can figure this thing out. No, Paul's talking about this is something that there was no way ever we were ever going to know it because it was kept hidden from us, but that God revealed this to us. This is what he's meaning. And then he goes on to say, just in case we aren't quite picking this up, we've covered this in the last two sermons that that I've preached in in chapter 2, But the mystery is that now Jewish believers and Gentile believers are brought together into one body, which is the church, and they're brought together because they come through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And it tears down all these walls that had separated them before. And now this thing where they hated one another, where they believed that, that one was, was made to fuel the fires of hell, and the other one didn't feel any better about the other one, now they're together. There's this unity there in the Gospel. This is the mystery that is revealed from heaven that the church, God is redeeming all men, all women who place their faith in Him. He makes this clear in verse 6 when he says that they are fellow heirs. That they are members of the same body. That they are sharers of the promise. He says, man, this caused him to have this love for the church. He looked around and he said, you know, I, I realize at times it's messy. I realize at times, man, there are issues that come up. But I love the church. This is what Christ died for. Christ died for the church. It, it saddens me to, to think about those who are treating the church as just this sort of casual add-on. Like it's this upgrade. If you want it, you can do it. Or if not, you, know, you can be a Christian without it. You know, kind of like you know, heated seats in a vehicle you buy. We don't need heated seats, but if you want them, they're there and you could pay you know, additionally and get heated seats in your vehicle. The church is not heated seats. The church is what God, what Christ died for. And, and, a, and a person with a genuine calling into ministry, and that's every single one of us, should display this love for the church. It leaves no room for these lone ranger Christians who say, eh, I don't I don't have to be a member of the church to, to be a good Christian. Um, I wrote this on Facebook this week saying saying something like I don't have to go to church to be a Christian is similar to saying I don't have to go home to be married. Both of those things may be true but they reveal where your real affections are. If I don't go home yeah, I may legally be married but it says I don't really love my wife. I don't really love my family if I don't go home. But Marriage is I love my wife and my family, and I want to be where they are. And why in the world would we say, I love, I love Jesus? Yes, I'm connected with Him, I'm married, but I just don't like His people. Instead, the the Bible reveals here that we should display all of us, especially those with this vocational calling, like Paul has, a, a love for the church. Number four, there should be a definite sense of calling. There should be this definite sense of of, I know that I have been called. We see this clearly in verse 7 where Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister. I love that word. He's made a minister. He doesn't choose ministry as a profession. He's made a minister. I mean, When people heard that Saul, now Paul, was now preaching the gospel, that he had been saved and he was now preaching the gospel, their first reaction was... They laughed. They laughed at this idea. And when they realized that it was serious, they quickly went from laughter to now fear. They thought this was a trick. They thought, well, this is the guy who who has been persecuting Christians. This is the guy who has been arresting Christians. This is the guy who's been standing by and holding the coats for people so they could hurl stones at Christians and take their lives from them. This is the guy. Now you're telling us that all of a sudden he's now in love with Jesus and he's preaching the gospel? They were understandably skeptic. Uh, They they didn't believe it, right? O'Brien, one of the commentators I read, said this. That uh, he said, just as nothing short of God's mighty intervention could transform him from being a persecutor into a Christian, so it took that same almighty and effective working to make him into a servant of the gospel. The way I paraphrase that is the same gospel that saves people also sends them. Right, So this is what happens to, to Saul, now Paul, is he's saved by the grace of God, by the gospel, and he's now also compelled to go. This is, he, wasn't, he, didn't, he wasn't looking for this. He didn't take an aptitude test in high school, like finishing up, what do I want to do with my life? I just don't know, i got to figure this thing out. Somebody help me, let me take this test. What would I be good at? Oh, I know, preacher of the gospel. Look, man, Saul, you scored high on this thing. Man, you should pursue that. That's not Saul. Saul would have never gone down this road apart from the grace of God entering in and making him a minister. Vocational ministry is not a career choice, it has to be a calling. It absolutely has to be a calling. I would say to, to anyone who believes perhaps maybe God's calling me to, to ministry, Is I would say to them, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else and being fulfilled in that, then go do that. Because if you are not called and you enter into what I'm calling vocational ministry, if you're not called to it, you will last a short while and burn out or be thrown out, you will not last. If you're not called to this thing, you will not last. If you can do anything else, do that. I had those same words spoken to me when I sensed God's calling on my life. A wise uh, older pastor looked at me and told me, if you can do anything else and be happy doing it, go do that. And I'm so thankful for that. Those first few years of of my ministry, I, I I thought I was called. I was pretty sure I was called, but I wasn't really confident in it. I didn't really know, and, and, and but I would go back to, yeah, I am. I think I am. I know I am. And one day down the road when we'd gone through so much turmoil and so much drama in churches and these sort of things, God settled my calling once and for all. I won't tell you the story again because it's on record many times but when I sat in that, in, in that worship center in Birmingham, Alabama and Rick Owsley from the front of the room called my name and said, Scott Ogle, come serve the body of Christ. It was nailed down. I will never again, by the grace of God, wonder whether or not I am called to what I do. I know it. I, I know it like I know anything. I, I know it like I know my wife loves me. I know it. I know I'm called to this. I, I will never, by the grace of God, walk away because I'm bewildered at does God really want me to do this you better know that you're called a definite sense of calling becomes the anchor that holds the ship firm when the storms of ministry rage it's 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 often like and this is what I was thinking of when I when I wrote that is it's it's often like vows in a wedding vows in a wedding you know they could mean very little But if the two people standing there in their wedding, in that ceremony, if they mean what they say and they're vowing these things, then later on down the road, six months in, when the the dinner is burnt again and the socks are laying all over the floor and there's toothpaste, like, down in the bottom part of the tube, but there's nothing up the top, you know, and you just want to say, forget this, I'm out of here, vows become this anchor that you go back to and say, no, no, we said for better or worse. Till death do us part. And this is the same thing that a, a call to ministry does for a minister. Is you go back and you say, no, no, Scott Ogle come serve the body of Christ. And it becomes this anchor that holds you when the storms of ministry rage. Number five. A definite sense of calling. Number five, humbled by God's gracious calling. There's a humility that is produced by the fact that God called me. There there are those that are serving in different ministry roles that I just wonder, are they aware that God called them to this? Or are they serving out of their own choosing? Because the arrogance that they display comes across as if they have created every opportunity they've ever been given. Paul here displays this humility and he just can't get over the fact that God called him. He says there in verses 8 and 9, "To me, though I am the very least of all the saints." I mean, take just a moment and think about what he's saying. Every single Christian ever, Paul says, "I'm the least of all the saints." And he's not saying this in some, you know, really kind of wanting to put the spotlight on him, trying to look humble and modest way. He means this. He, he doesn't get over this. He comes across in his writing over and over and over again. He sees himself as the least of all the saints. He says this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And if you contrast those two things, he says, I am the least of all the saints called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see the magnitude that he sees this with. his calling. He's humbled by this. I don't deserve to get to do this. Look at what I was. And this is displayed by those who are called into ministry. Paul's acutely aware he does not deserve this calling. He persecuted Christians. He imprisoned them. He's the one who's standing by when the very first Christian is martyred. When Stephen is, is dying because they are throwing stones on top of him. And Stephen's looking up and seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father to welcome him into heaven. Paul is, or Saul at that time, is standing by, holding everyone's coats so that they could get better range of motion to hurl those rocks. This is who we're talking about. And Saul, now Paul, knows this. He knows, I don't deserve this. In fact, he plays with the Greek language to invent a new word. What he says here in actual Greek is less than the least. It it would be something like the leaster. You know, I mean, you say things like that and people just go, hmm, you know, I know where he went to school or whatever, you know. Or he didn't go to school. The leaster. This is what he's saying. He's he's just searching, grasping for some way to to convey. See, I just did it. You know where I went to school, right? To convey just how undeserving he is. I'm the least of all the saints. His view of himself doesn't get better. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1.15, he says that, that he's the chief of sinners. He was aware of this. He was aware, and he never got over where God had plucked him from. And just the incredible task that he had been called to. There was this humility that just, just exuded from him. You know, and this is true of all of us in whatever capacity of ministry God's called us to, none of us deserve to be able to join with the infinitely glorious creator and sustainer of all that we know, the one who redeems the world to himself and will be the the object of worship through all eternity. None of us has the privilege, the right, to join him in what he's doing. You know, years ago, I, I grew up I was a kid of, uh, born in, in the middle 70s and grew up kind of in the 80s. And Michael Jordan was the thing back in the 80s, right? Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. He's the GOAT. I mean, he's just it, you know. And, and he, was, he was it. There was one night, Michael Jordan's playing, and, and he scored 69 points. 69 points in one game. And that night they 're in the locker room afterwards, and, and the, the media they 're interviewing Michael Jordan, and they also then go to this this one, um, this one rookie who's over here in, in the locker room, he 's member of the Chicago Bulls. He got on the floor that night. He actually scored his first point on a free throw ever in his, in his career. Rookie, Stacy King. They go to Stacy King, and Michael Jordan has scored 69 and he scored one, and they ask Stacy, you just scored your first point ever in NBA?" How do you feel? And, and Stacy, tongue in cheek, looked at the reporter and said, I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I teamed up to score 70 points. <laughs> in a small way, that's how we should view our responsibility in this. Our part in this is small, but what we are called to is huge. We are called to this huge task and we don't deserve it, but God calls us to it. We get to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. The the word unsearchable there is a word that means too vast to explore, too deep to fathom, right? And so what we get to do is, is in the midst of endless infomercials and constant new pursuits, we get to hold Jesus up as being Better than all of them. We look around at our neighbors and we see what they pursue, what they give their lives to, what inevitably leaves them wanting. And we have the privilege to hold Jesus up as better, infinitely, unsearchably better. This is the task we've been called to. Number six. The sixth mark of a minister is this driving desire for God's glory. In verses 10 through 13, there's this revealed here, this driving desire for God's glory. Uh, he says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And he goes on from there. The Manifold wisdom there, manifold wisdom of God is, is a word, that manifold is a word that means many-colored. It, it was used... Uh, to speak of like a a floral display, like a floral garland. It was also used to, to speak of Joseph's coat in the Old Testament. Before Dolly had a coat of many colors, Joseph had a coat of many colors. And this is the word here used to describe this. This time of year, we, it's easy for us to, to, to look around at the manifold display of wisdom because we look at the foliage around us. We see the color in the leaves, and we see how brilliant some of them are, right? And it's not hard for us to imagine the manifold wisdom of God in creation, but creation is not what, God, what Paul has in mind here. It's not creation's main objective to display the manifold wisdom of God certainly certainly displays the glory of God. All of creation was designed to do that. You read, you read Romans 1 and, and all of that, and you see this is what happens, right? This is what creation does. But he doesn't have creation in mind. Instead, he has the church in mind. It is the church's number one task to display this many-colored wisdom of God. John Piper had a very helpful illustration that just helped this to pop for me. He said, if you will, imagine an artist's canvas the size of the universe. And then imagine every single church made up of individual Christians as brushes. And he said, God, though being invisible, is picking up every single one of those brushes and he's painting on the canvas of the universe to display his many colored wisdom to his own glory. It's a beautiful illustration. And and Paul here goes on and he says that we are to display the manifold wisdom in two places. Number one, in the heavens. He talks here in in verse 10 about the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. There is debate over whether he's talking here about good angels or bad angels. I would make the case that he's speaking of both. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about these these, uh, uh, authorities in, in heavenly places that we war against. But then in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about these uh, authorities in the heavenly places. And so we see here the good and the bad angels. I think what he's saying here is that that the church is God's way of displaying His manifold, many-colored wisdom in the heavens. That good angels stoop, crane their necks to look into what God is doing in redemption. This is what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, is that these are things that the angels long to look into. We just sang a song, and uh, Ethan, I don't know if you looked ahead at, at the passage when you chose that hymn, but when we sang, Crown Him with Many Crowns, there was a verse in there that I had never heard before. I'd never paid attention to before. But the verse said, No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his wondering eye at mysteries so bright. This is is what the angels do. They're longing to look into what God's doing through the church. Why? Because they've never been the recipients of grace. They've never had to be redeemed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. No angel has ever or will ever sing that. They long to look into this. God has not completely revealed his complete plan for redemption to them. So they, they, they sit on the edge of their seat and they long to look into this thing like you and I when we know there's a new episode of our favorite TV show. We make sure we're home. If we're not going to be home, we make sure that thing's recorded, right? Netflix, my Wi-Fi signal at the house is not very good. And so I don't get to do Netflix. But man, this is, this is the way the angels work. So they look and they they don't want to miss anything. They look at one another and say, did you see what God did there? Did you see that coming? They look and they say, "They see all the people from all the different backgrounds, all the different races, all the different ages all together, and they look and they say, how in the world did God do that? The angels are amazed. But on the flip side of this, those bad angels or demons They're shocked when they look at the church. They're not amazed that it erupts in this glorious praise of God. Instead, these demons look in at the church and they are shocked. And they are confronted with their own doom. Because what they thought they were victorious in at the cross, that they were able to kill Jesus and enslave humanity forever, they look at the church and they realize it didn't work look at the church and they realize our plan failed our greatest victory was actually our greatest defeat this is what he's saying here is that when you and i live out what god's called us to this calling to ministry whether we are vocational ministers or whether we are members of a congregation that serve one another and minister as god's called us That the angels in heaven and that the angels that are bound for destruction are either amazed or they are shocked and saddened. But also, we're called to to display this manifold wisdom of God, not just in the heavens, but in the church. Verse 13, this is where Paul finishes up and he, he encourages them that, hey, just because I'm in chains, don't lose heart. You keep going. To which I would say to you, as we persevere in faith, Christians and non-Christians alike will see the manifold wisdom of God. When you look in at churches, when, when the outside world is, is clamoring and wondering how in the world, how in the world our, our our society can come together, we all seem so divided. I mean, everywhere you look, we're encouraged to choose sides and this and that. But when a watching world looks into the church and they see people from different races and backgrounds and and thoughts and all of this come together around the cross and there's unity there, it blows their mind. When you and I as believers come together, we see the manifold wisdom as we persevere in faith. When we choose to suffer to follow Christ rather than choose comfort to walk away from Him, we see the manifold wisdom of God displayed. John Piper finished that illustration by saying, The final glory of the painting is that every brush stroke will add to the infinitely intricate display of God's wisdom to the armies of heaven. Not one single little stroke of your brush is ever wasted. He is a wise painter. He doesn't take brushes and make mistakes with them. Ever. So maybe right now you're feeling like your life is insignificant. It doesn't matter. The thing God's called you to is so small that if you didn't show up to do it, it wouldn't make that big a deal. And what God is saying to us is that He's called all of us to fulfill a particular role of service, of ministry, somewhere. So here's the application. These six marks of a minister, here's what I, I think we can take away from this. Well, the Spirit of God... Helping us. Number one is all of us are called to ministry in some form in the church of God. That being said, I think we should pursue opportunities to serve one another, to look for opportunities to to help one another. To to bring a meal, to write a card, to send an email, to make a phone call, to volunteer in the children's wing, to volunteer in the sound booth or in the parking lot or wherever. We serve because we want to serve one another. Matt came to me this morning. We've always prayed together. He prays for me on Sunday mornings. I'm so thankful for that service every Sunday morning. And and as he came to me this morning, he brought me a bulletin, and he had already written out announcements that I had to make on, on the back of it. He just said, I was just thinking how I could serve you and I just wanted to serve you in this way. And I thought, that is awesome. I mean, I'm not having to sit there and think, what do I need to announce? I'm just going to pull out Matt's notes. You know, We look for ways to serve one another. If that calls for discomfort or suffering, it is an opportunity to display the manifold wisdom of God. Number two, all of us have some realm where no one else but us have been called to minister. Whether that's with our children. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. You're at home with kids all day long and you think, man, how in the world would God ever use me? Hello? You have a congregation in your house 24 hours a day. God's called you to ministry right there. You need no more validation than that. Serve those young minds and those hearts and point them to Jesus with Augusto, steward that responsibility. Perhaps it's coworkers. You You work in an office or in a factory, and man, it seems like everybody there is as godless as they can be. And, and you feel very alone. And you think, what in the world could I do? Man, you have a congregation right there. It doesn't mean that you ignore what your boss tells you about what you can and cannot do and just, just begin to preach to them anyway. You Do that long enough and you'll be fired and you'll be out of there. We're called to be wise, right, in the way that we would go about this ministry. But there are opportunities there. I mean, I'm talking to, to people who have moved around the world who are living in Africa right now who are actively searching for people, you know? I mean, it's, 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 I mean, this is unreal, uh, the, the opportunities that you and I have. You've been called somewhere, whether it's clients or neighbors, whatever it is. Steward that as a gift from God. And then third is this. Some of you will actually be called out by God as vocational ministers. And this excites me. And I'm not just talking to the teenagers in the room. Some of you you in your 40s, 50s, even 60s will answer a call from God to go somewhere. To take on a new career. To walk away from what you've you've spent your whole life doing. Because he's called you to it. There are pastors serving in our, our association, in our area that have done just that. Here's what I think you and I should do as a congregation. I think we should pray for it. Jesus told us to look up that the fields are white with harvest. They're ready to be harvested, that we should pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. And so I think we should pray that out of this congregation, out of this flock, God, would you raise up, call out, ministers of the gospel, and have them answer that call. And then when he does answer that call, when he, when he issues that call and they answered, that we should look for ways to affirm that in them, that we should look for ways to equip them as they are called, one of the things that I would look back on and I would do very differently when I surrendered my life to ministry was my home church didn't know what to do. My home church, I went to the pastors there and I'm thankful for them and, and honestly, they meant well, but they, they did not handle it the right way. They simply said, well, you should start looking for a church. Go, go serve a church as a youth minister somewhere. That was the worst thing in the world I could have done. I was, I was 19 years old. And I was going to go be a youth minister of teenagers. Man, I, I still had so many hormones flowing through my body and all this stuff. And I, I mean, I had such little knowledge and wisdom and all this kind of stuff. And I was supposed to go out and just, just do this thing? It would have been so much better if my home church would have brought me aside and said, Look, this is awesome. Now we want to equip you. We want to shepherd you in this. And brought me on as as an intern or given me roles there and linked me up with with elders or with with those that were further along than I was that could coach me that when I did something incredibly stupid they could pull me aside and say don't do that ever again right or when when they saw God working through me they could come alongside and say yeah keep doing that keep pursuing that right let's look for those ways and then just one final is that uh, Every single one of us are called to follow pastor or pastors in some, at some point in our life. If you're a member of a church, you're called to follow a pastor. And I would just encourage you to follow those whom God has given you to care for you. This feels a little odd for me to be saying this to you because I am that one. Okay, So I will quickly go to the Bible in this. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. I want to tell you that I am thrilled to be your pastor. Uh, I, don't come, I don't come about my job. I don't come to work every day going, oh, I've got to go talk to these people again. They're so stupid, you know. And they're such terrible sheep. I mean, all they ever do is bite one another and they just make messes all, all over the place. And Man, I don't, I don't do that. I love you. You are living out Hebrews 13, 17. You make it a joy to be your pastor. And for that, I want to say thank you. But I want to tell you that every single one of us is called to ministry in some capacity. Look for that and serve. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for for inviting us to join you in what you're doing. Lord, that you are redeeming people to yourself, that you are restoring all of creation, and that all who will ever believe in you, Lord, will be saved. God, thank you that you invite us to join you in that work. Lord, I pray, God, that each and every one of us, Lord, would take what we've heard today and, God, that we would respond as you lead. Lord, would you glorify yourself in this, Or would you build your church in this? Would you do it, Lord, for your own namesake? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and to respond. Perhaps today God's called you specifically to some task. I remember being faced with this as as a kid, running running from God's call. I don't want to emotionally manipulate you into something that God's not calling you to. But if, if God is calling you, or if you think God may be calling you into some like vocational ministry, I want to give you an outlet where a pastor would love to talk with you about that, to help you explore that, to be able to walk alongside you and see you begin to practice this and see whether God is indeed calling you to this, or to come lovingly beside you and say, You know, I'm not sure this is what God's really calling you to. I'm committing myself to be honest with you, but I want to love you along the way to be able to help you serve. Perhaps you're here and you're just a church member and and God's not going to call you to vocational ministry, but man, you're aware today that He has called all of us to serve one another, to serve in some capacity. And maybe you need to respond in a particular area. Maybe you need, to know, need some help with where do I serve? We'd love to have that conversation with you as well. Maybe you're here today and this is the church that God's led you to and you believe this is where you would, he would have you to join and become a member, link arms with God's people. Then come see me. I'll be down here on the front. I'd love to talk with you. Whatever you need, I make myself available. But you don't need a mediator. You don't need me to go to the Lord. You go through Christ for that. So reflect and respond as he leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.